Hello, everybody, and welcome back, or welcome if it's your first time, to Toddler Purgatory. I'm one of your co-hosts, Molly. Hey, hey, I'm Blair. Today we are talking about a subject near and dear to my heart, pets. I love them. When should we get pets? Why should we get pets? And especially, how do we make sure that the loves of our lives, you think I'm talking about your partner, but I'm not. I'm talking about your kids and your pets. (laughs) How do we make sure they get along? Right? Because we want a happy household. And pets can be a big part of that if pets are right for you. Indeed. And pets live in 84.6 million American households, according to a survey by the American Pet Products Association. What? That's a lot of pets in a lot of houses. I agree. 84.6 million, like... So done the research on this. How many households are there in America? <laughs> right? That's a lot. Yeah. Because that's pets. And we'll break down a little bit, you know, the most popular pets and that stuff. But we're talking from fish. We're talking grasshoppers to zebras. <laughs> Please don't have zebra as a pet. <laughs> to big cats. Please do not have a big cat as a pet. Don't have a big cat. Don't do it. Now we're there. Wild animals. Don't do it. Yes. That is so many to me. Did you grow up in a household with pets, Blair? We had a dog. Lady Georgia Peaches. I did not know that. Yes, we had a dog. How have we never talked about this? Because it was like a random thing. We were leaving Georgia. This is when I was four. And our priest, I think, had a dog and was giving the puppies away. And my mom was like, we should get Blair a dog. Now, mind you, I did not ask for this dog. I think my mom was like, I think Blair should get a dog. So I was like on board. So we took Lady Georgia Peaches to Germany with us. And she did not stay with us. <laughs> what happened? <gasps> Turns out four-year-old Blair was not a good pet owner. Okay. Okay. And my dad was like not on board at all. And he ended up taking care of Peaches. And he was like, yeah, Peaches doesn't need to stay with us. Peaches was rehomed. Peaches was rehomed. So when we first moved to Germany, we were in like off base housing. So she lived with us there. And my dad was like, he pulled the plug on her coming with us to live on base with us, which was sad. But I mean, I remember Peaches very well and I loved her. But then after that, and when I asked for a dog, when I was like seven, eight, my dad was like, hard no. (laughs) And I was like, I was four. I didn't know what to do. I was barely potty trained. He was like, no. It's not happening. So I never had another pet after that until I was in grad school when I had a goldfish, Killer Minkus. R-I-P. I I love that. The first name was Killer and the last name was Minkus. Wait, first, how did Lady Georgia Peaches get named? You know, I think we named her because we were from Georgia and I think my mom named her. I don't mean to cast aspersions, (laughs) but it does sound like your mom wanted the dog. Your mom named the dog. Uh, yeah, uh, you think? Mm Mm-hmm. Was it your mom's dog? I believe so. (laughs) But she didn't, like to take peaches out to go to the poo-poo pot. Oh, sure. And neither did four-year-old me, so. Yeah, and then I had Killer, and I took care of that fish, had a traveling case. I was in grad school in New Jersey, but I was dating someone in Baltimore. Mm. Every weekend, I would go and see him, and I would bring Killer with me (laughs) in a traveling case. Oh, yeah. And then once, (laughs) here's a funny story, side story. This is a fish. He was a fantail goldfish. You know those like little fat ones with the big eyes and the beautiful tail? He was gorgeous. And there was one time we were on a road trip to Baltimore. I was in traffic. I hit the brake too hard and his traveling case fell over. 
When I tell you there was screaming, when I tell you there was crying, when I tell you there were tears streaming out of my eyeballs as I tried to get up. Because when you're on the turnpike, you know how the rest stops are like so far. I didn't have any water in the car. I was speeding to a rest stop. Finally got Killer some fresh water. He was actually really, really happy about the Dasani bottle of water that I poured into. Oh, I bet. Yes. He was like, oh, bloop, 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 bloop. Thank you. And yeah, that was pretty a terrifying I thought that was when he died. No, I thought you were going to tell us that's when he died. No, he actually ended up dying because this was my final year of grad school. I'd had him for about close to a year. And I ended up having like back to back auditions in the city. And I didn't take him with me. And you didn't have a pet sitter. I didn't have a pet sitter. There was a guy who was like renting a room in our apartment and he would watch Killer for me. But he wasn't doing that great of a job. And he moved his tank in front of the window and he got too hot. Well, that's our show. That's our show. Thank you. And that is the end of Killer's Life. I had a Japanese fighting fish. I grew up with dogs. Mm-hmm. Here and there, like we had uh, Daisy was the one I remember the most, which was my mom's dog. I sounded surprised earlier when you said you remembered your dog from when you were, were four, but I actually do remember Daisy pretty well. Cute little buddy. What kind of dog was it? Cockapoo? Like a black cockapoo? Oh. Oh, God. So cute. Little floppy thing. And then we had a couple after that. We also had a dog kind of like you who I think we weren't quite ready to take care of. My grandma's dog had a litter. Hopefully people are spaying and neutering their pets more. Because back in the day, people were not great about that. They did not. And they had to be told on a game show. You remember that? Yep. Spay and neuter your pets. Bob Barker. Bob Barker, do it. Yeah. He was not wrong. He was ahead of his time. But so my grandma's dog had a litter. (laughs) And of course, my sister and I, my sister was probably nine and I was probably five. Of course, we chose the runt of the litter, the smallest dog. Because it was cutest and looked like it needed us the most, of course. (laughs) And the minute we chose it, my mom and dad looked at each other. They told me later and said, oh, shoot, shoot. Like, that's not a great dog to choose. But it seemed probably the most like a teddy bear to us because it was small. It didn't move much. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) It just wasn't the big, happy, healthy dogs, you know, who maybe seemed overwhelming to us or something. And so Snowball grew up and was fine. But, you know, it, it was a big dog. It was a white Samoyed. What is that? A Samoyed. Yeah, it like big fluffy white dog. I mean, its name was Snowball. I think probably similar to you. We didn't really have the time to train it properly. It was way too big for how little me and my sister were. Mm -hmm. But we did find it at home. And I remember when the family came that took it who were looking for a white Samoyed and they drove away. I do remember crying. Mm -hmm. And then the minute I couldn't see it after it went out the driveway, my tears dried and I just moved on to the next thing. (laughs) Like in hindsight, I remember that. Like I was not devastato for weeks. Yes. I was devastato for a minute and a half. And then I was fine. And then after, when I first moved to New York, I had a Japanese fighting fish named Tonkachachi Abramowitz. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. And it was around the time that Jamie Foxx won a Golden Globe or an Oscar or something. For Ray? Not for Ray. For um, something he shot with Tom Cruise, which I can't remember what it was, but I love Jamie Foxx. And so he came up and after winning his Golden Globe or whatever it was, and he's like, oh, thank you. And, you know, he's so energetic. And he's like, thank you for this person, thank you that person. And all of a sudden, he points into the audience and he goes, I see you, TC. And then they show Tom Cruise with that big smile that he has, just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and so for some reason, I loved I see you, TC. So I made sure that my fish had a TC at the beginning of its name, Tonka Chachi. And Abramowitz, I can't remember why I named him Tonka Chachi Abramowitz. And Tonka, because when my mom was a kid, 
she went to a movie, a Disney movie about a horse named Tonka. And Tonka dies in the movie, spoiler alert, and my mom stood up in the middle of the packed movie theater and went, don't die, Tonka! <laughs> so I got the fish and I immediately said to, you know, one of my best friends, Maggie, I said, uh, I just don't want it to die. I just don't want it to die. And I told her that story. And she's like, obviously you're naming it Tonka. <laughs> so Blair and I, Blair had a fish and a dog, briefly. I had different dogs, but they were really my parents' dogs. And throughout this episode, we'll be talking a little bit about that, about how we have to have reasonable expectations of our kids if we are getting a pet for them before the age of, say, 18. <laughs> the parent will more than likely be one of the primary caregivers for that pet. And obviously more so the younger the kid is when you get the pet. And I kind of do remember that. My parents were really, we played with the dogs and stuff, but they weren't, I never really considered them our dog until I got a dog as an adult with my now husband back when we were just partners. Just partners. Just partners. Just partners. That's all. Just you know, committed partnership for 10 years. <laughs> but during that time, we had a a dog named Cooper. And I really felt like that was truly my first dog as far as like actually mine. Mm, okay. Which I can, can understand. We had cats here and there, but my mom was allergic. Dogs are the number one most popular pet in the United States, which I'm sure none of you are surprised with hearing. Almost 50 million households own at least one dog. Wow. And here's the funny thing. This is as of 2020. Here's the funny thing, too. On average, a dog owner actually has 1.7 dogs. So that means more people have two or more dogs than just one dog, which I understand because dogs are like tattoos. Once you get one, you're like, I got to have them all. I got to have another one. Yeah. That's according to the American Pet Products Association again. Yeah, that significantly increases the total number of dogs being kept as pets. And then cats are pretty close behind. A bit over 30 million households own at least one. Cat owners, on average, have 2.2 cats. Hmm. That's wild. I can't say anything about that because I'm not a cat person. I don't like cats. I'm sorry. First of all, I'm allergic. Oh, there you go. Second of all, I just think that whenever I walk into a room, a cat's like, what do you want? <laughs> That's because they sense you don't like them. Which is much like me. So I feel like I'm just being red for my own filth whenever I like see a cat. I will say this. I'm not necessarily a cat person either. However... I have met some cats I really liked. We helped foster a kitten mm. until they were big enough to be adopted. And her name was Puck because she was a little black cat. And she would always get like, not under our feet, but she would always kind of be in front of us. So we learned to shuffle our feet in the kitchen so that we wouldn't like step on her. We never did, of course, but like <laughs> we had to be ultra aware. And she was a tiny black cat. So she sort of like hid in the shadows before she'd come out and attack us. She was so funny. We loved her so much. But I also was like, okay with her being adopted by another family because I agree. I'm not really a cat person per se. Like I like them though. Cats were the number two. The third most popular pet is fish with over a million households. Re and then going down in descending order to number 10 is reptiles. Okay. But those are growing in popularity, according to my sources. Interesting. Other mammals are in fifth place. And then they go down to rabbits, hmm. a pet poultry, if you have, you know, a pet chicken or something. Pet livestock, you have a pet cow. Ferrets, hard pass. And number 10 is all others. Like big cats. So I think the biggest thing for me, have your kids ever asked for pets? You have a five-year-old son and a two and a half, almost Let me tell girl. you this. Just yesterday, my son was like, Mom, can we get a bulldog? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So specific. So specific. And I was like, uh, I mean, we could talk about it. And we need to involve your father in this conversation. But no one's ever really said anything. And before we had kids, I was like, to so my husband, I was like, can we get a dog? And he was like, kids before pets kids before pets. And I was like, come on. And I am so glad that he said it. And I'm so glad that I listened to him. Now, where did he get that? Do you think? 
I've never heard that as like a mantra. I think that he was just like, he just knew me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, got it. (laughs) And I think he also was just like, you know, he's a cat person. Yeah. And he had like many cats, like lots of them. At the same time or throughout his life? No, like at one time he had like lots of cats, like feral cats. Oh, sure. Like he's the guy that like feeds the feral cats and like names them. But they like come to the house like every now and then like, oh, there's whiskers. He loves to chase the mice around and eat the kibbles. I don't know. It weirds me out. So, yeah, still he was like no pets. And then we had kids and I was like, oh, yeah, they're my pets. (laughs) They are my pets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is interesting. Like there is sort of a window, right? Mm. Pets bring so much to our lives that cannot be denied. I mean, when you pet one of your pets, it gives them comfort. It gives you comfort. They are therapy, in my opinion. Pets can be, you know, a a kind of a therapy, of course. Mm -hmm. They give you companionship. They give you loyalty. Also, on a practical basis, dogs can, you know, provide security. They keep your family safe in a lot of ways. Yeah. Cats will ignore you and disdain you (laughs) sometimes, but also are so loving. Like, that kitten and other cats I've met, you know, my friend Erin has... A beautiful cat is so loving, so loving. And that's what we're here for. That's why what we're on earth is to love and to be loved, right? So I definitely get that. Also, they can mouse. They can be your mouser cat. (laughs) For sure. That's awesome. So like, they do bring a lot. However, there is a window. And I think what you're describing with Bill, too, is like that order of things. Like, for instance, on Care.com, they have an article about the best pets for kids at every age and stage. And they say infants ages zero to one. So during that time period in their lives. During the first year of your child's life, the ASPCA recommends putting the focus on introducing the baby to the pets already in your home instead of gaining a new pet. So maybe between the ages of zero and one, don't get one. Don't get that. And I read in another article, they actually talk about it being the youngest kid. So if the youngest kid is not yet age, say five, five years old is an age that People threw around a lot in these articles like that. Mm. They say five, depending on the kid. Of course, always, always, always consider the kid, consider the family situation, all that stuff. But yeah, in one article, they were pretty adamant about it being the youngest kid. Because if you have an infant and a 10-year-old, you know, the 10-year-old might be ready, but you have to account for everybody in the house. For sure. Which is tough. That is tough to break to your 10-year-old. You have to, I always, whenever, like, I live in the city, right? So it's like... I see people walking their dogs everywhere and I always feel so bad for the dogs because they got to like poop in front of people. (laughs) They don't care. (laughs) I know they don't care, but it's like sometimes you just like look at them just like on a sidewalk on like a dirty pile of snow. Like, I'm just like, I know. Wouldn't you just want to be like in a field somewhere just doing your business? Nobody looking at you. Right. Nobody waiting, cold, shivery, looking at you like, hurry up and poop so I can pick it up with my hands. It's like, I just feel so bad. Let me tell you something. As somebody who lived in the city with a dog, (laughs) (laughs) Cooper, our dog, was fantastic. I think that just like people, some dogs are suited for the city and some dogs are not. Mm -hmm. And you have to... Every dog is an individual. I am someone who believes strongly you cannot look at a dog's breed to see their temperament. You have to meet the dog. True. And if I think you're also anthropomorphizing that dog a little bit. If you were a human, you probably wouldn't want to poop on the sidewalk. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) I don't know. My five-year-old might be like, Mom, I got to go. I was about to say, cross your fingers. Hey, in some ways I'm jealous. But dogs are not people. So we have to like remember that and take the dog for who they are. They're individual. They're independent, individual of other dogs. Obviously, there are some breed traits 
that we can look at, but every dog is so different. I volunteer at my local SPCA. I cannot tell you how different every single dog is. Mm -hmm. So we have to respect that and also know if the dog is good in the city, it's just like a person who prefers the city. They're fine. Mm -hmm. Cooper loved it. We'd go out first thing in the morning. He got to go to a dog park where he got to play with a bunch of other dogs. We had Prospect Park. If I went to a certain area, I could let him off leash because he would always come back. He had 100% recall, which is when you call your dog and they come back every time. Mm. That's the only time we would ever have him off leash. But in like a small area with no other people or dogs and we're able to throw the ball for him. And then he'd go home and he'd sleep. He had an excellent temperament for the city. So you really just have to look at every independent dog. Also, he provided a lot of, not security as insofar as, you know, he was a 25 pound yellow lab on corgi legs. That's <laughs> exactly what he looked like, y'all. But also comfort and security. Like, I loved having a dog in the house. And that's having Cooper. We lost Cooper last year, but he was 15 years old. I mean, he's one of the longest relationships I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Besides my husband. Right? But it's true. There's like, they do become, it's really, Special to see how pets become a part of the family. And the one thing that I'm like to see you talk about Cooper and I know things that we talked about for you and your son with Cooper is that it does show and again, like instill that empathy, the need to take care of something and the responsibility of taking care of something. Yeah. I think that's also part of it. And, and it's a good thing if a pet is for you. Yes. When we come back after this break, we're going to talk more about those positives, the things that will benefit you, your family, and your child by having pets. And we'll get more into the ages and stages, what pets are appropriate at what age, the timing of that. And then later, later on, we'll talk a little bit about tips and tactics for introducing a new baby to a home that already has pets in it and how you can prepare your home for that as well. Good. Yeah, we'll be right back. Stick around. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. It's January, and for me, that means New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you, but eating more healthy foods is always on the top of my goal list. Eating healthy is now easier with Hungry Root, and right now, Hungry Root is offering Toddler Purgatory listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Hungry Root makes it easy to eat healthy. They support all the major diets and lifestyles, including gluten-free, vegan-vegetarian, dairy-free, low-carb, and others. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh high-quality food delivered to your door. They've got healthy groceries and simple recipes all in one place. I love that Hungry Root recommends recipes and groceries based on my taste. I like to take their suggestions, and I always love what I get. My favorite are their burritos. I can quickly heat up a burrito and have lunch with no hassle. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Toddler Purgatory listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash toddler. Don't forget to use our link so they'll know we sent you. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory, where Molly and I are discussing pets, why we should get them, why we shouldn't get them, when we should get them, all the good stuff that comes along with having pets. 
And one funny thing we were talking about when we were off air just now is how easy and fun it is for me and Blair to talk a lot about the pets we had <laughs> when we were kids, because those pets are part of our core memories mm-hmm. for sure. And they in actually a little bit older for you, too, because you were very attached to that fish. I was very attached to that fish. Killer. <laughs> Killer Minkus, R.I.P., dude. So, and I think that's something interesting to think about, you know, that we're two adult women who kind of still think with great fondness on those pets. And helping to form those core memories, you know, is not just the only thing. I read an article in Parents.com about the benefits of pets for kids. And as you can imagine, there are quite a few. If pets are for you and your family, they might be because of one of the following reasons. You may have seen the pictures, those viral pictures or videos of kids reading to shelter dogs. Oh, that just warms my cold, dead heart. Yes, it's phenomenal. Those kids are angels and the dogs love it. They love Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's really good for the kids, too. In this article in Parents, they say educators have long known that bringing therapy animals, mostly dogs, into schools helps developmentally challenged kids learn. Now they're finding that all children can benefit from the presence of a non-judgmental pal with paws. Absolutely. It's amazing. You know, I was just thinking... The reason why these pets are part of our core memories is because there's something so unlike ourselves that we love and care for, which is so important just in the realm of just like being a human being and how important it is to find things, find people, find experiences so unlike ourselves to help create that sense of love and nurture and empathy and all the good things in life, right? I mean, that's just like kind of like dinged in my head. I agree. And I don't think we can discount the fact that they don't talk. So like, I don't know about you, but me and Blair, we're talkers. (laughs) We like to talk. And maybe it's just nice for kids to like have a break. So not only does it kind of calm all of us, you always see these studies about pulses, you know, go down when people are petting animals or whatever, but also those Dogs are incredible listeners. Cats, when they don't hate me, are incredible listeners. They have such wonderful personalities. (laughs) They're so different. But yeah, it says researchers monitored their stress levels in this one study where kids were asked to read in front of a peer, an adult, Mm. and a dog. And they monitored their stress levels and found that kids were most relaxed around the animal, not the human. Of course. Yes. Judgy old humans. Well, even if they're not judging, we fear that they are. Yeah. The kids fear that they are, even if we're we're listening to them with the most open of hearts, right? Yeah, I get that. The other thing, and this is kind of attached to that, I think, is that pets provide comfort to kids, right? In another study, children were asked what advice they would give to less popular kids for making friends. And the top answer was get a pet. Oh, yeah. Because it gives them something to talk about. You can talk about it with other kids that have pets. And also they know that those kids are getting that comfort that they need, that kind of friendship, if you will. Mm-hmm. There was this other study, Gail Melson, who's a PhD and professor emeritus of <laughs> developmental studies at Purdue University in Indiana, and also an author of a book called Why the Wild Things Are, Animals and the Lives of Children, asked a group of five-year-old pet owners what they did when they felt sad, angry, afraid, or when they had a secret to share. More than 40% spontaneously mentioned turning to their pets. Aww. Can you believe Yeah, this doctor said kids who get support from their animal companions were rated by their parents as less anxious and withdrawn. Oh, okay. I mean, that's something to think about. If you're thinking about getting a pet, you know, and you... I gotta tell you something. I have an only child. (laughs) Like, 
there's something to be said for like having a sibling. Yeah. Having someone to chill with. Yeah. Somebody to, you know, my son has like a rocket ship in his room. That's just like a fabric tent we got at Target. And he can, he goes in there and he has pillows and books and Legos and stuff. But like, I don't know. I wonder how it might be fun for him to have a cat in there with him. Maybe not a dog. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I like big dogs, so I don't think they can fit, but we'll see. Maybe just their little cute little head. But, like, I do want to think about that. Is my kid going to not only provide get comfort, but also, of course, learning how to take care of and nurture another living thing? Well, along those lines, Molly, I got to say that, I mean, I joke about, you know, us giving peaches away. But really and truly, when I got to be eight, nine years old, I begged for years. I begged my parents for a pet of any kind because... My brother's 13 years older than me, and I did want a companion. Honestly, I really did. I liked the idea of having someone that I could chat with, that I could like, who understood me, who would like hang out with me and make me feel a little less. I mean, it wasn't like lonely, lonely, you know what I mean? But it just seemed like it would give me someone in the house who was more along my lines of thinking. Yeah, not only it's companionship, it's comfort. It encourages nurturing, which is so important. I mean, yeah, so Dr. Melson, who I mentioned earlier, had a really interesting take on the nurturing side of things. In our country, it is not considered particularly acceptable for an older sibling who isn't much older to be taking care of their younger siblings. Whereas in other parts of the world, that's very much part of the fabric of their communities. Yes. But we don't really have that. Mm-mm. And she compares that to being able to have a pet in the United States and whether or not that kind of plants the seed of good parenting skills mm. during childhood. Mm. She really believes that one way is through pets. She tracked how much time kids over age three spent actively caring for their pets versus caring for or even playing with younger siblings mm. over a 24 hour period. Pet-owning kids spent 10.3 minutes in caregiving. Those with younger siblings spent only 2.4 minutes. Yeah. Does that make a lot of sense to you? To me, I was like, no way. To Blair, you're like, uh, yeah, no kidding, Mal. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I'll tell you why. That first demand for something, you're like, peace, I'm out. I'm going to go pet the cat. <laughs> I don't blame him. I get it. I get it. And a really interesting thing, too, I have an only child who's a boy. She also says nurturing animals is especially important for boys because taking care of an animal isn't seen. You know, we hate these gender norms that persist in our world, but they are there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It isn't seen as a girl thing like babysitting or playing house or playing with dolls. My son has dolls, so don't get it twisted. But she's saying, you know, kind of traditionally. Mm -hmm. She says by age eight, girls are more likely to be involved than boys in baby care, both inside and outside their homes. But when it comes to pet care, both genders remain equally involved. Boom. That's pretty awesome. That almost makes me just want to go out and get a, I don't know, teacup pig right now. They say gerbil. They say gerbil. A gerbil. Ugh, good. Ugh. I know. I know. Same, same, same. But yes, I agree, particularly in this day and age where we want our boys to grow up strong and soft. Yes. To... You know, be able to open their hearts, to not be afraid to cry, to support other kids, whether it be females or males or everything, is being able to nurture pets one way in Mm -hmm. to make sure that they have empathy, that they have that caring sensibility. We were at my friend's house the other day, and they have two great kids, age seven and two. And at one point, the two-year-old accidentally was reaching for something, and my son was moving it at the same time. She was behind him. He didn't see her. And she fell over and started to cry. And the seven-year-old, who was a a girl, said later on when I went down, is everybody okay? And 
And she said, yes, but he didn't come over when she cried. He didn't come over, as if to say, to comfort her, to comfort her little sister. And I immediately was like, oh, I know. Like, he doesn't know that. Mm. He doesn't have a younger a sibling. He's a pretty empathetic kid. He's, you know, five years old and she's seven. So there is obviously some developmental stuff that goes on in those two years. That's major. But also, you know, she's been taking care of stuff, you know, in, in her playroom or whatever, much more than he has been. Oh, guys, we got to do a whole episode on gender norms. I mean, right? Oh, God, it's like heartbreaking. You know, it's such a priority to me that he grows up to be an empathetic, kind, nurturing, of course. caring kid. And for the most part, he is. Mm-hmm. He's doing great. He's where he's supposed to be at age five. And even I was like, I'm so sorry he didn't come over. You know, like he should have. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. This is why I'm sending him to a Quaker school next year, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is he going to be empathetic, sweetheart, he's also going to be able to make some damn good oatmeal. (laughs) That's not a thing. (laughs) I think my husband feels the same way. Well, here's a fun thing. Uh, Just a couple more things. uh, Benefits to having pets with your kids and your family. The last couple are pets can keep kids healthy. Oh, how so? Yeah, I'm pediatrician, head of allergy and immunology department of the Medical College of Georgia named Dr. OMB. He said having multiple pets actually decreases a child's risk of developing certain allergies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's because they're exposed to stuff like your dog licks your face or your eyeball or your nose. Nobody knows for sure why, but they are just less likely to develop allergies, even to like indoor allergens and outdoor seasonal allergies. I guess it's what you're being exposed to. Yeah. So you're building up immunity to it. Well, that's his thing, too. It says no one knows for absolute sure why. It helps your kids not develop asthma and allergies and stuff. But Dr. OMB has a theory. When a child plays with a dog or a cat, the animal usually licks them. That lick transfers bacteria that live in animals' mouths, and that exposure to that bacteria could change the way the child's immune system responds to other allergies. Right, if they aren't already allergic to said animal. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the last reason is pets build family bonds. Think about all the stuff you can do. And another thing they said is that, which I really love is, it also slows the pace of modern life down. We are like crazy, crazy, tech, tech, crazy, tech, tech. Yeah. But if a child wants to lay on the couch and just snuggle with their dog and pet their dog, and you know, you walk by and say, hey, what are you doing, Jack? And they say, huh, nothing. They learn that it's okay to do nothing, to chill out, to slow it down, to stop even. I love that. Oh, I got to go get a cat. I got to go get another killer. Oh, killer two, K2. K2. Yes. So earlier in the show, we talked about that article on care.com, the best pets for kids at every age. We learned that between the ages of zero and one, maybe don't get a new pet. Just introduce your baby to the pets you already have in the home, which we'll talk about how to do that safely later in the show. Just to go over the other ages, Blair, let me tell you something. This could be your opportunity. Uh Uh-oh. Hit me. Even though your kids are slightly older. For little toddlers, ages one to two, they still have a lot to learn. We know this, right? They grab, they pull, they don't mean any harm. So they say, if you want to add a pet to your family, start small with a shelf pet, like a fish or hermit crab that's safely contained and cared for inside a protective enclosure. Going to PetSmart later. And then you can supervise any physical reaction. You can answer questions about them. And they need to be fed. You can safely let your little one help feed them. And now you're already starting to nourish, plant those seeds of kids who have empathy and and know how to care for something else. So smart. I love it. I think you should get a fish. I think we might. I'm deeply into it. I will report back if this happens. That'd be great. Although I really do feel, you know, I do feel I got the Chuck Brook feels 
that it may come down to me taking care of it, which I guess as a parent, you kind of have to like, you know, set yourself up for that a little bit too. Like you can't put it all into their hands. Like we're getting a pet. Certainly not at the ages your kids are, five and two. Yeah, totally. Much later in life, maybe. But yeah, I think that's part of it is that we as parents have to sort of acknowledge. And perhaps this isn't the best time for some of us to be doing that. And that's okay. But it is going to be a big part of your responsibility. The kids are going to help for sure. And they're going to learn all about how you got to feed that fish. You got to feed it. (laughs) You have to feed the fish. Like there are certain responsibilities in life that you have to do to keep the things you love, you know, flourishing and growing. But also we have to acknowledge that kids are still learning about any kind of routine in their life. They're still building empathy. They're still building all that stuff developing in their tiny, tiny brains. Bless them. So preschool ages three to four, the ASPCA recommends guinea pigs. They're affectionate, just like your kid, and they're not likely to evoke harm. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, they're kind of gross, so no offense. That's okay. Not everybody's into small pets like that. We went to PetSmart the other day to get a something. I can't remember what. Oh, maybe a present for our next door neighbor's dog. And they had guinea pigs there. And my five-year-old son was interested, but much more interested in the sort of exotic pets. Like they did have ferrets there. And he was like, what are these long things? No way. (laughs) It's like a snake. Not my house. But a rat. (laughs) (laughs) A fair rat. (laughs) (laughs) My good friend has ferrets and they're very loving. It's very sweet. But yeah, you got to get the pet that's right for you, for sure. There's so much of this is specific to who you are and you're also, we can't, you know, forget to talk about like you live in an apartment building Mm -hmm. there. So there are people who can't have dogs, can't have pets, like, and this is what it is. In that case, maybe you can go to your local shelter and walk the dogs or pet the kitties. Yeah. That would be awesome. I think you have to be over a certain age Mm -hmm. at my SPCA to be able to go in and like cuddle the kittens and cats and stuff. But you can call your local shelter and see because they are always looking for people to socialize kitties and also to socialize cats who may have been feral at one time but have shown signs of being able to be a domesticated house cat. And they might just need you to sit there and pet them and get them used to being handled and human smells and all that stuff. Hard pass on that. Why? For a cat that was feral, that is now having a change of heart and wants to sit in my lap. And test it out. And the minute I sneeze, it's going to claw my face off. (laughs) 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 At you. (laughs) I can just say that. No, thanks. Hard pass. And they'll be like, nope, this one's still feral. Thanks, Blair. No problem. You're just dripping blood walking out to your car. (laughs) Casual, casual, casual. Ouch. Oh, geez. So here's the interesting thing. Just like anything else we've ever talked about and anything else in life, there are a lot of reputable sources. So do your own reading. We're just two podcast hosts. Do your own reading. Do your own studying up. There are people at all these places that want to talk to you. Like Mm -hmm. they want Mm -hmm. to give you, it is their job and their passion to make sure that parents are fully educated before they make the decision to add a pet to their family. So feel free, I would say, call the Humane Society or email them and be like, hey, who can I talk to about this? If it's not them, they'll direct you to somebody who is the person to talk to. Like, Mm -hmm. Everybody wants you to succeed, right? Nobody wants this to be tougher endeavor than it has to be. Obviously, there's going to be some growing pains and adjustments and training that you might have to do. But there are so many people who want to help you. So please use those resources to give you the guidance that you need. For instance, like, you know, in one of them, they said that you can introduce like gerbils or something at the age of, you know, preschool age. And then the Humane Society recommends introducing gerbils or hamsters to children age eight and older. It's up to the parent and it's up. You got to look at your kid's temperament. Are they ready? 
you know, are you ready if they're not ready and suddenly you're the primary caretaker? All that stuff, you have to take everything into account. On the Care.com article, they said kids should be ready to take on responsibilities, just like with school and chores, which include exercising the animals and, you know, pet bathroom needs, cleaning out cages, all that stuff. If they're not ready for those things, eh, hold off a year or two. Take it off the table. Get a hatch animal. What's a hatch animal? Sounds like a little, um, little toy. Oh, like a hatchimal? Is are those the hatchimals? Hatchimals. What are the programmy ones? Oh, like a robo dog? No, no, no. The ones that were like, they were like on a keychain. You remember those? Tamagotchi pet. Yeah, those were real popular I'm back in my day. Oh, God, it's like a digital picture? Yes. I don't think they make them anymore. I mean, I'm dating myself. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about, okay, so you have pets in the home already, and then you just found out you're pregnant. Oh. <laughs> so you're adding to your family that already has pets in it. Sweet. So we want to make sure that everybody is set up for a success when we get back. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. We're talking about pets. Why though? When though? How though? Who though? Hi. I think ultimately what kind of pet it is, is like super (laughs) personal preference, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do a cat. I would do a dog. A hard pass wouldn't do a ferret. I'd do a goldfish. You know, what's right for your family. I would encourage you to, you know, go meet the pets first. Volunteering at the shelter is awesome because I get to see a lot of different people come in and hear how many different reasons people have for wanting a pet, for deciding sometimes on the spot that it's not the right time for a pet and how great to be able to admit that 
So there's no shame in that game. If you think, hey, maybe it's time for a pet and you realize, uh, down the road, this isn't actually the right time for us. Or maybe I don't like cats or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, <laughs> right. or you know, they suggest a guinea pig for age three to four. We're not really a guinea pig family. I think we'll hold off for a few years when we can get a dog, which is the animal we really love. So the guidelines we talked about, like, you know, ages one to two might be good to get a shelf pet, three to four, a smaller pet, like a guinea pig, et cetera. Those are really just guidelines. So you got to do what's right for you and what's the right time for you. And a, a good time to realize you're not ready for a pet is before you get a pet. For sure. Yeah. It's be honest with yourself and your partner and your family. You know, really, it has to be a group decision. Everybody has to be in on it and everybody has to be ready. For sure. And then there's also the other side of this, which is for those already with pets and then you find yourself pregnant, how do you introduce your pets to... Your baby. Or adopting or whatnot. Or adopting. They say, we as parents have chosen this stressful event, but nobody else in the room did. True. Said Marjorie Alonzo, executive director of the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. Okay, Marjorie. Okay, mouthful. And she's a professional dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Taboo. So what I've told parents for years is that everything you want to kiss may not want to kiss each other. Ain't that the... Marjorie... That is a lesson for life. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's so true. So what can we do? Yeah, what can we do to get ourselves ready? So once you find out that you're pregnant or that there is a child that will be entering the home, you want to make sure that you do like, you know, critical tests on your pets. Mm-hmm. Toxoplasmosis. It's a parasite that is beholden to cats. And it can be really dangerous to pregnant women, but it's very simple. You just take your cat to, uh, there's signs that they show like a uh, fever, lethargy and, uh, like in your uh, cat, if they have toxoplasmosis. Yeah. If they have it, they have, there's certain signs, but just to be on the safe side, you can also just take your cat yeah, to the vet. Yeah. That's always a good idea. Just bring your pets in and make sure everything is. Tip top, snippity snap. A-OK. Also, you want to address behavioral problems like, you know, jumping, getting into things. You know, if you have a pet that's like kind of got free range all over the house, you got to address that stuff. Which is so funny that you say that because our pets are often our first babies. For sure. So like I definitely <laughs> am familiar with families that have dogs that, yeah, have a little bit of free reign. We love our dogs. We love our pets. But we, you know... Dogs have can have a lot of energy. Maybe we've been a little lax on the rules because we love them because they're our babies. Yeah, so actually that's a really good point. Like those behavior problems you've kind of been casting a blind eye to because you love your dog so much. Now's a good time to address those with force-free positive reinforcement training. Indeed. And if they have if they're anxious about possible aggression towards children, pet owners should enlist the help of a trainer. From a reputable organization like the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants or Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. And they should work with their vet as well and ask about different behaviorists or how to deal with aggressive, anxious behavior. Because something, it could be caused by something else. Exactly. It's sort of like pediatricians. Like what pediatricians are to our kids is what your vet should be to your pet. For sure. Because there could be underlying problems. Also, vets are an incredible resource. I don't know about you, but my pediatrician is like, oh my gosh, I rely on her so wicked smart. So wicked smart. A wicked lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And vets are the same way. They could say, huh, well, maybe the reason why they're doing that is because blank. Let's check that out. 
Yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah. I think that's a good, you know, maybe that just goes down to like having a great relationship with your vet so that you can say, look, we have a baby coming and I'm not going to give up on this animal. I'm not going to give up on my pet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And don't feel that pressure. I know I've heard of a few, I've heard conversations before where it's like, well, baby's coming. We're going to have to see about getting rid of or, yep. you know, relinquishing. It's just like, oh, no, 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 puppy breaks, puppy breaks. And along the lines of kind of not giving up on your pet and putting in that work before the baby comes is they say in this New York Times article, one of the most important things pet owners can do is to learn the language of their animal. And that's so true. Again, animals are individual beings. And Margie Alonzo, who we talked about earlier, says there is a pretty long runway between warning signs and a bite. Animals have an exquisite language that we don't speak we can learn. Dogs might freeze, look stiff, look away, any number of things, which all indicate that the animal is uncomfortable. And a trainer or behavioralist or even possibly your vet can help you find those signs that your pet will give you that they're uncomfortable. You also want to make sure that you are preparing your environment, unpacking the baby's furniture ASAP, get it on the floor and experience it from your pet's perspective, right? Oh, that's cute. Get on the floor. Get on the floor (laughs) and teach. And you know, like those pets that do have like free reign, you know, now we got to set up like zones, like no-go zones. That's true. And uh, Sarah Faso, a mother of a 19-month-old, used a emotion-sensing pet sprayer to train her cats. The baby's bassinet and crib were no-go zones. That's really smart. I bet there's a million things on the dreaded Amazon. I know, right? <laughs> like oh. that, right? <laughs> Dad got it. If the cats get too close, quick puff of air, back up, no-go zone. And cats are smart, too. They'll get it once and they'll be like, yeah, not going to do that again. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Yeah. And also, just like, here it is, just like if you already have one kid and you have another kid coming, make special time for your pets. (gasps) Oh, Take that time. You know, I know before my daughter was born, I just felt this overwhelming, like, oh, no, he's going to feel isolated alone once this baby comes. But it wasn't. It was more love. But it was also nice to have the special time that we had. And they say to do the same thing with your pets. And what's great about pets is that just five minutes of your time of extra cuddles, of extra scratches, belly scratches can be so great for them. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think I didn't do that as much as I should have. I kind of relied on the fact that my husband was able to be there for the dog. And then I almost was like, all right, I'll keep the kid alive. You keep the dog alive. <laughs> like That's like how we split Which it. it comes down to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it kind of does, particularly in those first few months. It's really hard. And I do remember Cooper coming up and really pushing his body into mine and wagging his tail almost frantically with crazy eyes. And me saying, Cooper, go lay down because I was holding the baby or nursing the baby or busy or t- running on fumes. And I think you're right, Blair, like even having set the timer for just even five minutes a day with him focused attention would have been so helpful. That same New York Times article talks about a mantra called crate, gate and rotate, which I love that. So if you have a big old dog or or a pushy dog like Cooper was, he wasn't big, but he was quite pushy. pushy. Before the baby arrives, get the dog used to the crate and have it be the best place in the world, Margie Alonso says. Put in mashed potato-filled Kongs or special treats that they only get when they're in the crate. She also mentions, and I like this, never put a dog in a crate for the first time the day the baby comes home. You've got to put this work in early. Because then the dog can still interact, still see what's going on. And then later on, switch it up. Put the baby in a pack and play and spend some quality time with the dog. Everyone's safe and gets a turn for attention. I love that. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. It's just like 
still letting your pet know that they matter and that they're a part of the family and that this person isn't coming in here giving them das boot. <laughs> Get out, you. I think you're right. So what, it's something that if we put in that extra time now, you know, working at a shelter, people, there's a lot of reasons why people have to surrender their pets. It's almost never a reason... <laughs> That the dog did something wrong. I can't tell you enough that that is so true. It's mostly because of a change in circumstance. People have to move to an apartment that doesn't allow dogs, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes it can be something as simple as, okay, we just found out we're having a kid or where our surrogate's ready or we're adopting or however you expand your home, your family. Okay, we have hopefully have a few months. Let's do all we can do to set ourselves and our pet up for success so we don't have to give up on our family member as much as you can. And just know that, you know, Blair's never going to get a cat. And when I don't have a dog, it feels weird. So everybody's different. Everyone's different. But I am going to go get a goldfish, I think. I hope you do. (laughs) For me. In a future episode, can you tell us about it? Of course. I can't wait. Oh, everybody, you can follow Toddler Purgatory on hashtag Toddler Purgatory on social media. We also have a great Facebook group uh, with the What Fresh Hell Media, which is super fun. Please join our group. Please do. We have a great time. And we're always asking for suggestions and topics that you'd like to hear discussed. Me and Blair, our ears are wide open and we'd love to hear those. As always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Take it easy. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.